Hi, I'm Frances Katzen and welcome to my podcast, The World of Real Estate. In this series, we will explore the world's largest asset class and how it plays out on a global scale. Introducing a woman I have been a big fan of for many, many years, having watched her dominate through residential real estate by wowing prospective buyers and brokers alike with the most incredible detail and innovative concepts through the residential real estate landscape. With a background in architectural history from NYU, Nancy has a very hands-on approach. She co-founded Cetra Ruddy in 1987, took it to the top, currently serving as the firm's executive director of interior design. She has directed program development, strategic planning for more than 20 million square feet of architectural and interior design work, leading a team of skilled professionals to produce highly original, custom solutions for commercial, residential, cultural, and educational clients. Her passion for excellence is manifest in the architectural parties that she has participated in. She has defined and crafted details like no other. And someone who I also really want to work with on a project. <laughs> Welcome, Nancy. Thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for having me, Francis. So why don't we start from the beginning? How would you describe yourself? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I, I would say that, that the principles uh, that really make me tick are that I'm passionate about what I do. I'm passionate about people I care about. And I think that permeates everything that, that I do in my life. And architecture is an important part of my life. But I think great architecture really is about more than just buildings and bricks and mortar. Um, the, the other thing I'd say is I'm really inquisitive. And I feel that I am so lucky to be in a field like ours where every day is different. Every issue, every problem mm -hmm. to solve is, is um, you know, helps me grow, you know, and I just, you know, love working. I was about to say coming to work, but, you know, <laughs> we're not really there right now, but, you know. It's funny. I got goose pimples as you were telling me this. Isn't that funny? Like, I mean, I know that sounds schmaltzy, but it's really true. Um, you have to be passionate about what you do. Yes. Otherwise, it doesn't translate, does it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, where did you grow up, Nancy? I grew up in New Jersey. I'm Love a, New Jersey. Yeah. And um, most of my um, growing up was in a beautiful little town called Montclair, New Jersey. And basically it was magical because I had grass and trees and, you know, that kind of life. Mm -hmm. But we were 40 minutes from mm -hmm. New York City where we had museums and the ballet and theater. And so, so that's where I, I grew up. And I'm the product of you know, sort of a middle-class family and um, uh, but had a mother who did not have a college education, who was technically her CV would be a suburban Jewish mom, um, <laughs> but she was a Zen Buddhist in, wow. in her spirit. Mm -hmm. And she taught my brother and I that you could be anything and that you are special. So I have a 27-year-old daughter, and I wanted to be a parent because I wanted to tra translate that and give that to another person. And my mother had this thing that whenever I left the door, whether I was six or 16, she'd say, Nancy, there's always going to be someone who's smarter than you, always someone who's prettier, always someone who's funnier, but there is no one that is that combination of who mm. Nancy is. And so I had that extraordinary foundation that helped propel me into the the person I am and then, you the know, greatness. what I've accomplished. Mm -hmm. you know, what a so. great mom. Yeah, amazing. Do you amazing. think she lived through you vicariously in terms of your success? Um you know, she passed away when I was in my early 30s, um, smoking lung cancer, really oh. sad. Um, and But she was proud of me um, in everything I did, you know. Um, so That's wonderful. So, you know, I'm sorry she's not with me. She never met my, my daughter. Oh. Um, but uh, but she's she's with me, you know. Yeah. She um, when uh, and I'll tell you and and I I, I know we we're talking real estate, but no, no, but this is okay. part of like yeah uh, 
the what fabric. makes me mm-hmm. who I am. And mm-hmm. fabric is an interesting word because when she knew she wasn't going to live long, she wrote me this little letter that I take out on my birthday every year. Do you really? And the the key thing is she said, I may not be with you, but I'm woven into the fabric of your heart and I'm, sit- I'm sitting on your shoulder. And so... I have that, and it's been, you know, well over 30 years that, that she's gone, but she's little, literally sitting on my shoulder. So You're going to make me cry. Uh, You're going to be the first person <laughs> to make me cry on my podcast. Oh, no, no. That no. was really incredible. Yeah. Wow. So. Did she know? She must have written that when she knew she was not well. Yes, yeah. It was It was about three months before she passed. and uh, um, But I... Wow, yeah, what, a, what yeah. an amazing woman. Yeah, yeah, um, she really Thank you was. for sharing that. How did you meet your husband, John Cetra? Oh, this is this is also a good story. And you you tell me if I'm, I'm telling stories too long. But are you, you know, kidding? But, Bring it on. Okay, okay, it's great. Be- because you know when we talk about our work, it's about stories, and and it's really who John and I, you know, my partner John Cetra and I are. So so the story of John and I meeting is um, I went to, as you said, I went to NYU and had a degree from in architectural history. And um, I was on my way uh, to Harvard to start to get my master's in architectural wow. history. And in August, before I left, um, I sort of realized that I didn't want to do that, it, what, that it wasn't perfect for me because I started out as a painting major and our history major and yes, architecture. I read that. And I realized in that August, that steamy New York City August, before I was going to the most prestigious university in the world, that I didn't want to study architecture. I wanted to do it. So Harvard said to my suburban mom and I, um, the architecture program is filled, so why don't you come to Harvard for the first year and then we'll let you go into the program. So being a very strong minded 17 and a half year old I said uh uh-uh, uh I want to do architecture so we called um Columbia Pratt you know everything in New York New Jersey and all the programs were full it was like 3 weeks before so um oh I God. called uh, City College up in Spanish Harlem and they said and it was lucky cuz because everyone was on, you know, vacation. And they said, well, why don't you come up? Bring your portfolio up. So my mother, my suburban mom and I went in a country square station wagon <laughs> up to Spanish Harlem. Um, and they, they basically looked at my portfolio and they said, why don't you come? So that's, so my architectural degree is from City College. And the amazing thing, getting back to John, is that I went there and uh, for three years to um, and John was there. John was this Italian stallion from South Ozone Park, Queens. Stop. Uh, yes, if, Stop. if you can picture. I cannot. Yeah, yeah. He he, he wore like a um, a denim uh, uh, what is overalls with an iridescent <laughs> shirt under it and platform shoes. Get out. But he was. I want a photo, Nancy, know, of the platform shoes. I know. See you, Harvard. <laughs> And he was the top student there. He was so brilliant. And wow. so that's how we met. And um, I don't know many people that would have deferred a Harvard option. I think that says more about your real passion because most people still want I, the label. Yes. And you yes. didn't do that. Yeah. And, wow. And probably, you know, it was a long time ago. Probably um, if it was now, uh, parents were a little are a little more driving the bus and <laughs> yes. you know probably would have said you know they would have said Nancy just do this and and you'll follow your dream but right. um it was very different then you know and yeah. um anyway but it was the best thing that could have happened to me so he was the top of the class you met each other he was wearing platforms and yeah. overalls uh-huh. and and the yeah. rest is history and 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 the rest is history <laughs> we'll have to have some drinks for me to tell you the next chapter of that on how we became a couple but but I feel very lucky can we, I get a sound bite <laughs> for our viewers <laughs> no uh-uh. Not yet, not yet. Okay. Yeah. So so that's how I met John. And wow. Then, and then he went on 
He graduated. He was a year ahead of me in school. He went on to go to Harvard. To he get, went to Harvard often. <laughs> yes, to get his master's in architecture and urban design. And so I spent, you know, those two years flying back and forth between Boston and New York. So one of us did get to go to, to Harvard. But most importantly, it's where John and I realized that we were not only in love, but that we had really shared goals of what we wanted to do with architecture. So... And- so that's how we met. And is that actually where it founded in terms of you guys wanting the intention of working together? Mm-hmm. Well, we started... Did you know? We, for sure. At first, we, d- we didn't. We started out... Um, John went to work for Peter Eisenman and Jack Robertson, who mm-hmm. Jack, Jack had been head of city planning commission. Wow. And I went to work for Brad Perkins at Perkins & Will. And the story there is I got out of school. I only wanted to work for Richard Meyer. I went for an <laughs> of interview. <course> you did. <laughs> right. I went for an interview and interviewed first with his a younger partner and then with Richard. I'm sure he doesn't remember. And they called me a week later and they said, you have the job. So I was so excited and I got off the phone and then I realized I didn't ask them how much uh, I was going to make, you know, and I was supporting myself at the time. Um, And so then I called back and they said, why don't you come in? And then they basically said, no, you you work for free. We hire people, you know, and that was before rights and everything. And I couldn't afford it. So... um, Brad Perkins, who remains a friend of mine today, was my management professor in architecture school. He had been wanting me to come to work with him. And I said, no, 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 I'm going to work for Meyer. Um, He offered me a a job that I could not refuse um, because I was always interested in housing. And he had a project that was going to be studying... um, public housing, which is a great interest of mine, which a lot of people don't know, to study it as far as creating community, energy conservation, which is before the word sustainability was there. (laughs) And um, so and um, adaptability. So I spent the first four years of my career traveling throughout the country visiting uh, housing projects. And what we wound up doing is the work that we did became federal law. Gosh. Um, yeah. So, so I did not know that, yeah, Nancy. Yeah. That's yeah. meaningful work. Yeah. Yeah. And we've always, what people don't know about such a ruddy is, you know, they know our, you know, our beautiful, glossy, Mm -hmm. high-end. But we have always, when John and I... Oh, so John, you asked me. So John and I went to work for other people. And then um, what happened is uh, Brad Perkins went to work with this stark, this, at the time, young star-architect named Ellie Atiyah. They formed a a company, Atiyah and Perkins. And John and I went to work with them. And then they split, and I became Elliot Tia's partner. We did 101 Park Avenue. We did 452 Fifth Avenue, which (laughs) which we did as the Republic National Bank World Headquarters building, which then became the HSBC Headquarters building. And, um, And it was at that point, you know, having worked for big firms and small firms, that John and I realized that there was something different we wanted to do. And and it really focused on housing. Uh, When all of our peers and friends wanted to do museums and libraries and glitzy projects, we believed that home, the sense of home, is the most important foundation for people, that if you provide quality housing, not, not condo, Mm-hmm. necessarily, mm-hmm. but at all levels, that it, it creates that foundation for a successful life. So we have always done supportive needs housing. We've always done special needs housing. We've mm-hmm. done, um, uh, you know, all along, while everyone knows that other work, we've affordable housing. We're very active in affordable housing. And um, so, and the other thing that was important to me is that when I started, it was a male-dominated I was just going to go uh, there. Industry. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, you know, my first big, big project, I would sit at boardrooms with 20 people there, and I was the only woman. And I would get, you know, um, in the stairwells as I walked construction jobs, you know, the, the construction workers would, you know, draw lewd um, pictures yeah. on the walls to try to get my gander up. And so, and, and it was very corporate, you know, architecture was very corporate. And I made the decision that we wanted to have a family oriented um, 
firm, not because we were married, but because it's a hard industry to give women um, opportunities. I've always mentored women, uh, really, from in the early 20s. I was, you know, active in the Association for Women Business Owners. I mentor for the AI women for the AIA, um, things like that. So we are, uh, so so we and we wanted it to be family friendly. So people t- to this day, 34 years later. If, if your babysitter does not show up, you know that you can stay home or you can bring your baby or your kid in. Um, I love that. And because and, we know that because our home life is important to us, that, that if you're not happy at home, mm-hmm. you're not going to be creative and innovative. And um, so we, we thought we had – we wanted to do something different. And um, I would say my proudest accomplishment yes we've done amazing buildings we have amazing clients um uh is that we've created a culture at such a ready that um is women friendly family friendly we we care about our team as as a whole and um and people really know that it's unique you know people stay longer at our firm than other firms and um that's my greatest accomplishment more than you know, a 60-story tower. Wow. There's a lot of humanity, and that's very important more now than ever, I think, yeah. you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, the financial institutions, a few in London now, are allowing the women who work in financial positions to bring their children with them when mm-hmm. they have to travel now. And they oh. provide a caregiver budget, which I think is really a big moment in, in that understanding of it without mm-hmm. it being punitive. Anyway. Great. Um, how would you describe your stylistic approach in comparison to John's? Ah, oh, so interesting. <laughs> um, I think that um, we ha- we approach a problem uh, or a project differently, but but the one thing that everyone who works with us knows is that John and I work on every project in our office together. And part of the richness of that is that we have very different. We have. We have different ways of approaching things, but we have we but we live by the same guiding principles. So I would say that John is uh, more focused on context, on um, connecting to the urban or whatever environment it is, and um, whereas I sort of work from the inside out. I, I'm very program driven. Like I don't believe we should ever draw something or assume something until we study our client. We do, you know, we 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 have a research arm within the office that we do a lot of research. And so for me, bringing humanity and inspiration and that little spark of something into all of our buildings is what's important. So you put together. Uh, what John and I bring to to a project, and it it, it creates that magic that we feel um, Setra Ruddy is about, and uh, so hmm. so that's how we're different, but we're very very similar, you know, in our world view about architecture. Well, why don't we segue into understanding and describing the design of your own city home? <laughs> so. Um, it's so funny. And I'll tell you about my country home also, which is even funnier. John and I live in a um, uh, in, in Park Slope. Um, you guys in... are so hip. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been there for, for um, since 2001. We, we lived in Manhattan forever. And um, our daughter was just six. And we decided that we wanted to be close to the office, but... Um, have have you know have our child not be living in a high rise her yep, whole life yep. so we bought a brownstone it's from 1897 wow. and um it has all of the you know the bones the details mm-hmm. of you know classical. a beautiful mm-hmm. classical buildings yet um our sense of sensibility is um has a modernism to it and and in all of our work we like to tip our hat to um tradition and context and history um yet have a modern sensibility so so that's our our you know our um city home which you know is going to be anyone's story but we the heart of of where we live is we have a tiny little Adirondack cottage amazing on 35 acres um in in Dutchess County beautiful. on a lake beautiful and we bought it um 
you know, over 30 years ago. It's two rooms. We brought our daughter up in there. So, so we, it's one bedroom. Um, and for 30 years, we have said we're going to expand this house. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, so when, when we have guests come up, we have to put them up in lo- local B&Bs. And, but it's sort of the heart of, of who we are. I mean, we're very urban, but we, th- this is, you Your know. essence. This, this is our essence, and it always is. We bought this house before we bought a house in the country. We bought it when we were really young, and all of our parents said, what, you're going to buy a place in the country and you, you don't own a home in the city? <laughs> but for me, um, and I sort of, you know, John Lur- grew to learn to love nature because he, he grew up, you know, in, in a very urban part of, of Queens. Um, but for me, having that connection to nature has always been so important to me. And um, so anyway, so there's that constant debate. We, we carry these half-done expansion plans in a Cetra Ruddy bag every weekend. And, but we look at each other and we say, okay, the week is done. You know, the last thing we want to be doing <laughs> designing. is designing. And, and we, we've never designed a house for each other. So, um, so we're like the shoemaker's children <laughs> with no shoes. Um, so, and, and, you know, the thing is we, we, we design multifamily, but we also design really beautiful single-family apartments and homes. Yes, you and, do. And everybody, thank you, everybody says, oh, you know, we're designing these kitchens, these, you know, $250,000 kitchens. Oh, I can imagine what Nancy's kitchen is like because I love to cook. I, you know, <laughs> Me too. And John, John and I do a lot of cooking, and I have this tiny, like, galley kitchen. Um, so, so it's, you know. It's like the brokers that rent their entire life but never own <laughs> and are some of the highest-earning brokers. It's uh, ironic, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so, so those are our homes, but but. So you're still working from the little gas, the gas cooktop on the galley kitchen yeah. with the. Well, right. well, what we did is, you know, I guess about That's 15, hilarious. 20 years ago, we we did buy a Viking, a little, you know, the little twenty four inch, <laughs> you know, which no, you know, because because everybody just always says, and they know that I cook, and and I also do. We do Thanksgiving every year um, for twenty four to twenty seven people in this tiny two room house, and I we we spend a week cooking everything from scratch, and um, so it's oh, uh, you know, and I'll tell you one, fr- friend, you're getting really some, you know, very nuggets intimate here. things. <laughs> you know, I don't know if they're so significant as nuggets, but but the first time we had clients over at our country house, the the um, the ceiling was um, over the. The dining room, air, dining area, because it's two rooms, was this two by two acoustical ceiling that someone had put in in the 40s, and we <laughs> had not, of course, renovated. So there had been a leak uh, before we bought the house, oh, and there were these water um, Rings. marks, you know, <laughs> over the dining table. And I have a nine foot long harvester <laughs> table from from the mid 1800s. Wow. And so this client, you know, we were sitting down to dinner and he looks up and he said, he says to his wife, you know, see how creative John and Nancy are. You know, they, look at this, you know, this artwork that they did on the ceiling. <laughs> and John and I are looking at each other. And uh-huh. um, so, so you know, so that's how it is. That's how it is. I'm amazed that you had the, the comfort and the, 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 the sense of yourself to bring them into that tiny little place as a client. You know, normally yeah. like trying to show them, you know, the bigger. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Yeah. That says a lot about you. <laughs> um, what was your first job, Nancy? My first working job? Yeah. Um, I pumped gas in a gas station. Of course, you uh, did. In my, uh, um, well, it was it was probably between my sophomore and junior year in high school. Is is that the kind of job yeah. you're talking about? Yeah. I also, um, from when I was fourteen, um, worked at a local Head Start in East Orange, New Jersey. You know, um, a challenged area, and um, wow. So I've always, you know. Uh, been resonating giving, to it, yeah, mm-hmm. giving to my community, and I've had a lot of like really funny jobs. I was put myself through architecture school with two jobs. One was working for an architect turned um, uh, real estate owner, and I I I was a waitress at a place <laughs> called the Mad Hatter on First Avenue on the Upper East Side. Um, and made, were you good? I yeah, I made big tips. I bet you, know, you did. So warm. Um, 
So I've done a lot of d- different different things. Did market research from 12 at night through 6 in the morning to, to, to help put myself through um, NYU doing market research. Like you, you'd call oh people and you could do it round the clock because you could call people in, in California. I worked for a market research company. And it was things like you'd say to someone, first of all, they'd, half of them would hang up on you. <laughs> but then if you got someone, you, you would say um, – you'd, you'd say three jingles, you know, like double your, the one I remember is double your pleasure, double your fun, you know, and they, it, it, it and if they a, didn't hang up after that, right, right. You went in for right. the closer. Yeah, yeah. And it was about recall, you know, which I've, which I've brought into my own work, because it's not good enough to brand something um, uh, beautifully, but the brand has to resonate so that people will recall it, you know, hmm. and will bring it into themselves. So, you know, so it was something... How do you do that? Yeah. Well, I think it... I think I know for us it's about designing something that is not about fashion, that's not about style, that's not about this is what's selling right now, but doing something that has what I call content in it, that really comes from the heart and soul of... Um, quality, how people live. Um, and, um, and, I, and I think those projects resonate. You know, I, I know that like there's a, a building that, that we've done that's called 443 Greenwich. That oh, was the famous oh. kitchen. <laughs> so, the hardware. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Gorgeous. And, and, and it was um, definitely one of my most favorite projects. I was dealing with you know, with a, a very enlightened client, Nathan Berman from Metroloft. Yep. Um, Nathan had never done a condo. Um, this was a building that every developer had walked through and couldn't figure out how to psych it out. There had <laughs> been two architects before us with other developers. And I, I'm using it as an example because I walked into that building. It was a rainy day and there was a courtyard. And the rain was coming down, and I walked into the courtyard, and I was sopping wet, and everyone was saying, what are you doing? And I, like, I breathed in, and this building had a soul in it. Mm. It had this quiet monumentality. And we were lucky enough to have a client who, said, who saw what we felt about this and let, and let us— Drive it. Yeah, and, and let us you know, develop it in a way that had soul. And, and I think that, you know, that's what's really sort of important to us, you know. It's funny. I notice between architect, developer, broker, stager, it has to come from that soul. Everybody says the same thing. Yeah. That they walk in and it speaks to them. Yeah. Yeah. 141.5 for me oh. was a moment with Savannah LLC that you did. I'll never forget it. And I walked in and I took a look at this space and I said, this is a whole nother level. Oh. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Thank you. When Thank did you. you when did your love for architecture and design really really begin? Well, I started as I was always, you know, from when I was tiny, always drawing, always painting, and it was art was always a passion of mine and um Basically, I... Was it abstract art? Was it drawing? What was the medium that you yeah, liked? Yeah, Loved drawing with, and with charcoal mm-hmm. and, and mixed media. Mm-hmm. Um, never liked oil painting because it was so finite. You know, I love the sort of emotion mm-hmm. of drawing. Mm-hmm. And so when I went off to undergraduate school, um, I went off as a painting major. And I... Well, here's another... You know, it sounds ridiculous. But anyway, I picked the school. I went to Bard College. It was still part of Columbia. And I selected it. Amazing school. um, Because it was the only school that would let a freshman who was an art major have their own studio. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's up in Dutchess County. And my house is now 15 minutes from there. So it really captured something. But Do you I mean, think that's why, by the yeah, way? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Okay. Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Full circle. Mm-hmm. But what I realized after being for a year painting and being focused on inward on myself, I realized that this was not going to be the right life for me. Um, and, why? And it, because I felt that I wanted to give back. I wanted to share knowledge, spirit, whatever. So I switched to art history. And at Bard at the time, after your second year, there was a matriculation. 
And and I loved it because I was from the suburbs, but I was living in the country. And I just the Hudson Valley is just magical. So so I had my you know matriculation, and they basically said, you know, you have to leave Bard. So they said because you're very good at what you do, we don't have the right um, uh, program for you. You know, our art history department is very tiny. So they said. Um, we had there's two choices. Yale had an amazing program, and as did NYU. But at NYU, you know, I don't know if you remember back this far, but the God Book of Art History was called the History of Art by Horst Jansen, and he was the chair at NYU. Uh-huh. And I went to interview, and he just it was very clear that he said, "You come with me, and I will." put you under, you know, under my wing. So I moved to New York, you know, suburban kid, you know, moved to New York. And suddenly buildings had such a huge impact on me, you know. And um, I decided uh, I started studying the history of architecture and they created a degree for me because they didn't have an official (laughs) degree. And so I graduated with that. And and then I told you the story of deciding, yes, to become an architect and not just study it. So um, uh, I've always loved, you know, beauty, form, um, color, you know. So it's always been inside of me. And architecture was and is that combination, once again, of art, of people, of emotion, of creating a better world. All of those things are things that are important, so important to me. So if I had to do it all over again, you know, I listen, I wouldn't miss, you know, the the, the, the financial piece of what what our world is. Mm-hmm. Francis, you're in my world. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear you. But it's so perfect for me. It, it lets me touch every part of who I am. And I love so, that. So that's, you know... It's yeah. great. Um, if there is any advice you would give someone starting in their career, what would it be? I think you have to have a passion, you know. Bingo. And I can't tell you. There's there's this thing of, you know, people who um, have read Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead yes. where, you know, the architect. Yes. Um, and uh, th- people have a dream about what an architect does and and the power. So people send me their kids, their nieces, their nephews, their their sons, their daughters, whatever. And so I meet with 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 young people all the time and what I say is that you need to find something that you have a passion for, you know? And so and architecture is a very hard profession. Architects do not make a lot of money compared to all of the people mm-hmm. we work with mm-hmm. it's very long hours it's the the responsibility you know when you're when you're building you know a 150 million dollar project the decisions you make you know for your client for the city is so important mm-hmm. and so so you have to have a passion for it or else if you're just picking a a profession should i be a lawyer a doctor or this or that architecture is not for you if you have to do it if you feel in your bones that you have to do it then you should do it. And and then it, it's magic. I, I think it's really magic. So thank you for sharing that. Is there someone along your journey who you would credit as your mentor or is it the culmination of many different people? Huh. Um that that's a really hard one. You know, I talked about my my yes. mother. Um John, you know, after we we're married over forty years. Every day. We should ask what the secret is on that. Yeah, yeah. I know. He inspires me every day, you wow. know. And people also laugh. I know this is, I'm segueing here, but, you know, we can be in a conference room filled with people, and I will look across the table at him and see the sparkle in his eye. And, you know, when he takes his, you know, when he's thinking and drawing, he'll take his glasses and he'll put it down and he'll, you know, he inspires me every, every day. And so he's been a major inspiration. Mm. I, I would say the people that I work with, you know, we have such a committed, talented team of people um, who we select really carefully. I was going to say, I'm sure you also attract that type of quality too yeah. by what you give off yeah. in your brand, right? Yeah, and we're the kind of firm, truthfully, and, you know, and I'm not just saying this, but I get such delight when someone 
in my office shows me something or solves a problem in a way that I know I never could have done it. You could have put me in a, in a room with a blank piece of paper and they've done something that is more interesting, more sensitive, more brilliant, more colorful. Um, That's so, incredible. So I look forward to work. You know, I look forward to working with my team. And the thing about this pandemic is, you know, h- how you keep that that spirit of collaboration and admiration. We worked really hard on that. And the thing I miss the most is, you know, out of almost 100 people, we have, you know, 10 people coming in a day, you know, mm. 12, 13, mm. if we're lucky. I The thing I miss the most is sitting around a table, you know, and just floating ideas and doing the what ifs you know yeah. and um facetime so yeah. yeah so so i don't know that there is, is a person um uh but but i would say to everyone and it's back to your question about you know what would you advise people you need to listen to your inner soul i'm, I'm a real believer in that and, 100%. and and people who in my office you know i i always say this like sometimes I'll get this feeling, this like little ping, and I'll say, you know what, this isn't right. We need to address this, you know. And so it's listening to your inner self and having the confidence that, you know, you're you're doing what you're doing for the right reasons and having that confidence. So I won't say that I've mentored myself, but but I think that, You've you know, cultivated it. You know, no, it's really important. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the most difficult things for us to be dealing with, right, is to stand true to ourselves in close proximity to what may not go down well. Yeah, yeah. Because it's esoteric, right, mm-hmm. to trust your interior landscape. Yeah, and I think also as far as mentoring goes, I think that the wisdom is to take, you know, to be mentored on this particular thing from this person and that particular thing from that person. And, and you know, so to have many, many mentors, because I'm a believer that we all should be learning every day and growing, you know, and that to me is what keeps me going because, you know, as and, and I think you know from our work, none of our work looks the same. No. And, and it's really interesting about 15 years ago, I think it's that long, we, d- we decided to do our first rebranding of, you know, our graphics and all of that. And, um, and we brought in um, the seventh art, which we all know. Uh, and, and love them. Yeah. They were and, great. And they said, and it was when David and mm-hmm. Michelle, Michelle were still together. together. Mm-hmm. And they were so excited to do this because they had never done this. And I, But I felt, bring someone in who knows our industry and knows John and I really well. So they they did this whole thing before they even st- we even started. And the thing that they found is that Every one of our buildings is really different, and there's a lot of buildings we have done that people don't know that you did that we have yeah. done it be- because there's a lot of architects who are brilliant, but you can tell that it's that is their mm-hmm. work. And we always say our work looks like our clients or the target market or that neighborhood in Nomad or you know whatever that is. And um, that's what makes you so good. So well, thank you. So 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 the light motif we we learned then that carries through all of our work is at the time no one was really using the word craft but we we had a you know our subline is the craft of inspired design and even as i look back on it you know i wouldn't change a thing about that you know and and that's who we are that that is the the thread that goes through all of our buildings you know they but they all look really different and some many times we have clients who we don't know who come to us and say I love what you did at One Madison, or I love what you did at Aro. I, you know, I want that, but in my building in New Haven. And you know, and, and we say that's not how we work. If that's what you want, we're not the right firm for you, mm-hmm. um, because we we work from the inside out. And uh, so that's something we're really proud about. I mean, it hasn't at times served us well because people will say, even like One Madison, you know, people said. You know, for years they said, oh, we didn't realize you did that, you know, and, and our name was on everything, I know. you know, and but so, you know, so it, it, it's interesting. It's interesting. So. Do you, I know that you've kind of alluded to one of your favorite projects, but I'm going to ask it again. Do you have a favorite project or one that was the breakout project in your career? Um, 
I have just two answers. The breakout project was John and I started the firm in 1987, and literally less than a year later, there was one of the biggest real estate depressions, yes. right? So uh. really smart. We had great jobs. We were doing big buildings. And so um, so we spent a few years doing um, what turned out to be a love of ours, adaptive reuse, working in historic buildings. But we really wanted to do ground-up construction. And every developer would say to us, you get one built, you know, just get one built. Even though we had built <laughs> tall buildings, we, we did 101 Park Avenue when we worked, you know, for Elliottia, and we, we had done skyscrapers already, but we hadn't done it under the John and Nancy, you know, set already. Mm-hmm. So we did this little building at um, on 18th Street, uh, 211 West 18th Street, <gasps> which turns out to be right across from Walker Tower. Yes, exactly. So it's a nine-story. I know that building. That was one of my first listings I got a building ah. at 211 West 18th. And the guy took the entire apartment and put white tile so it looked ah. like one giant shower. And everyone <laughs> tapped me on the back and said, good luck with that one, honey. It took me eight months, but I sold it to a guy buying for his daughter. I'll never forget it. Oh, that's great. But I know your building. Yeah. So, and, and it was really funny because there was a hardware store next door, forget the name of it, and we could not get the amount of FAR on the site to really make it economical. So John <laughs> said, why don't you try to buy the air rights um, uh, from this hardware store? <laughs> and um, so we, we did, and it turned out that this had been a, um, a vertical horse barn, um, and there were these huge um, shaftways, and we couldn't figure out why are these in the, we didn't know it was a horse barn. <laughs> and so we came up with the idea of filling that when we fi- with concrete, and that became the structure. And so we went over that building. And so the truth is, by the time we got to the fourth floor, and you know, it, it's it's so many years ago, it's 30 something years ago. <laughs> but as soon as it started coming out of the ground, all the people we who had said, you call me when you have a building coming out, of the, out ground. of the woodwork. So so that was sort of the biggest sort of um, uh, segue into changing our lives in a sense. Um, I would say that, um, you know, our housing is really important. Um, when I think that, you know, our newest babies are always our favorites. We've just done our first museum, wow, um, which is called Photographiska, which is in a, a New York City landmark on 21st Street and Park Avenue South. Congratulations. Um, which is amazing. We just won the Landmarks Conservancy um, Restoration Award for it. We had always wanted to do a museum. And so that is really That's uh, amazing. spectacular That's for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing um, our first ground-up building for Columbia University, which is— That's also full circle. Yeah, which is uh, fa- faculty housing, student housing, and, and all sorts of great you know, university amenities. Um, we have finished a 2,500-student K-12 through school in India, um, oh. and we're on to our second one. And that enabled John and I to spend a lot of time in India, which was amazing. And, um, and then we go. have, you know— our amazing residential projects that you know, the late you know Rose Hill. I don't know if you know Rose Hill for for Meg Broad at the Rockefeller Group, uh, which is just about finished in Nomad, mm-hmm. um, is a very special project. Um, but we we have a we have a I lot really didn't of know those. Doing that. Go on. Yeah, you don't. Oh. I know. I know. Oh, okay. I've got to catch up. I yeah. know. Yeah. What yeah. do you love most about architecture? I think it's the problem solving. I, I think it's it's that new territory of the blank sheet, listening really carefully, doing the research and uh, breaking ground, you know, mm. in in quiet ways. You know, it doesn't always have to be a blockbuster, uh, you know. It, it, it's it's solving those problems and, and creating spaces that people walk into and go, wow, you know, that inspire. Um mm. That I think that's for me that that's it, and I and uh, and and the other thing for me is that and and all of my team laughs at me. 
I love walking through buildings, our buildings under construction. I never get tired after being an architect for over 40 years. The thrill of having worked on something on paper, in the computer, and then walking through and smelling the wood or the steel and and seeing the fruits of your labor of course um, starting to be built Very is exciting. is mm-hmm. is my favorite you know one of my favorite favorite parts and I I squeal you know we walk through and I say oh, look at that detail it really feels great or you know so yeah so I love the construction component of that as well what do you find most challenging about architecture. I think that kind of segues into your question. So, I mean, your answer, so I'll I'll leave that one. If you're not working, what are you doing? Um, Diverse things. Um, I spend a lot of time outside, um, do a lot of walking and biking. And uh, um, so outdoor is that that connectivity Mm -hmm. is with nature Mm -hmm. as as not an antidote, but as an important component to Balance. the rest of our mm-hmm. lives, right? Mm-hmm. Francis, you know, it's it's the, you know, the, the hype. We're in such a high-pressure industry where decisions Completely. are we make are so important, and it's big money and um, a lot of very amazing clients, you know, mm-hmm. um, and there's an intensity there. Yes. So, so being Correct. out in nature, nature is really, really important. I read a lot. Um, very, very diverse things, um, and um, and travel until now. I know. You know, people always know about John and my trips. We started doing amazing trips when our daughter Andrea was um, just under four years old, and so I, I I study a part of the world for a year and put put these amazing trips together. So we love traveling, and so that will come again. Mm, um, I miss it too. Yeah. yeah, and I love bread. <laughs> do you bake it, or do you just I like to eat it? I don't bake it. You Me know, neither. I don't. I, I cook, you know, but I don't bake so much. But I love artisanal, Aren't they crusty oh, bread. The you best. know, and um, so that and with, great butter. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. French butter. <laughs> yes, you're, you're so right. You know, with a great uh, glass of cab. Yes, and, of course. You know, and great jazz and, you know. You're so, a Frank, yeah. You're, yeah, you're a European underneath your Jersey <laughs> roots, you know. Um, if um, if there, Right now, there's been this conversation, and I think we're sort of realizing that there's a lot of product on the market right now in New York. And as an architect, how important is it to differentiate your projects in order for them to be successful? Do mm-hmm. you find that pressure? Or you just, it seems to me that you're designing from a very much inside out. So it's really not taking that superficial context into consideration. But I'll throw it out there anyway. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, we've, we've always said that you know, our work is differentiated during good times and bad. So mm-hmm. so that's more a descriptor yeah. of, of our work, and it's what people also say about us. But I think that, you know, if you develop something, if you design something that has meaning, even in the condo rental world, you know, <laughs> it, it's like, you know, 443 Greenwich, you know, uh, the whole concept of that beyond craft was what is the latest luxury and what we felt it was is privacy, not bronze faucets and not huge spaces, but, you know, the idea of that precious commodity of privacy. And we created this parking garage that you can drive into and go right up into your apartment, yeah. you know, or lifestyle. Uh, yeah. You know, and um, so I think it's it's that problem solving again. Yes. And um so we, we've, or, or, you know, we've just done a building that's called Aro, which is this white twisting building in Midtown. Um, and that was created. People say, oh, my gosh, the form is great, you know. But that form derived from we figured out that if the building twisted and cantilevered out, we would get better view corridors than if we had done just a 68-story rectilinear building. So we didn't do it for, you know, saying let's do a different building like you see in Dubai where every building is different. But we did it for a reason. And and our client, you know, know, said, okay, this sounds good, you know, and, and they loved it. But when we went up into the building when it was built... They, they honestly said, we did not realize that what you were doing was as significant 
you know, yes, as, as you said it was. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that, you know, for us, it's really about the content and the integrity. And, and also, you know, we haven't talked about, but, you know, our work has always been socially responsible, sustainable, you know, good, being good citizens of the world. We don't wear it on our sleeve, you know, but it's been an integrated part of what we have always done from day one. So, so that is really important to us. And, and this idea of health and well-being, which now with the pandemic, that's, sure. you know, everyone is talking about that. Our work has always been about how the foundation of a building can help people feel better, um, live better. Um, so, and, and I think one of the, you know, you, you said to me that, you know, we've survived, you know, we're trying to survive this year in the pandemic and there are small little small wonders that that we need Correct. to appreciate and I, and and in the real estate world you know um, and it's how sustainability and leads became so big yes uh, because it um, not necessarily because everyone believed in it but it was a marketing tool yeah and I think that's where it got perverted because there were people yeah. who were very committed I worked with an Italian development group who were extremely um, meticulous about it but would not do the lead certification because right. they felt it watered down mm-hmm. their actual focus on it yeah I mean yeah. they took the nails from a hundred years ago and wow. reused them they took the wood they sourced their marble not from Italy but from Danby upstate in uh-huh. Hudson right. just so that they and that's the right. largest quarry one of the biggest yes. quarries in the world. Yes. Yeah. How are you incorporating that into your design? I mean, are you using source locally? Are you, you know, how how are you doing that on such a bigger spectrum yeah. for your projects? We we do source um, locally. You know, the the, the you know the the, the um, metric is three hundred miles from where you are right. to use less less fuel, fuel and things like that. Um, so we do that. Um, the but. As far as a building goes, like a major building, the finishes are such a tiny piece of it, quite frankly. Right. So the planning is really important, like getting cross ventilation in I was just and, say, and the air. mechanical mm-hmm. systems. We we have been doing projects with with circadian lighting huh. um, before, you know, COVID, and the idea of of buildings that are you know, almost machines that can help you feel better. You know, we're doing a building where we put circadian lighting in the corridors so that when you leave um, for work or, where, or you know, to go shopping in the morning, the light is um, at a, a light tone that is more in sequence with your body clock, which is what circadian is. And when you come home, it's a, bl- a slightly bluer light. It isn't perceived as blue, but it's closer to what your body is doing. And so what that does is it creates more energy within a person. <laughs> so so I think that there are a lot of things in addition to being socially responsible mm. about the materials mm-hmm. and things like that that we can do in planning and um, in the design of buildings. And so we've always done that. You know, the other thing that is so important, which which we're really happy about, we've always advocated this connectivity between indoor and outdoor space. And now with the pandemic, um, you know, you know, in our development world, people are being more open to more terracing, more balconies. Um, you know, well, they've even increased the value of outdoor. It yeah. used to be, according to Jonathan Miller, who I adore, he would say that most banks were appraising outdoor at thirty percent of the interior price per square foot. Now they've moved it to forty, right, due to COVID. Yeah, yeah. So, so where do you see the architectural landscape of New York headed in the next five to ten years? Yeah. Well, I I think it it really is a great segue from what we were just talking about because I think that there is a much greater sensitivity to um, health and well being, mm-hmm. and uh, being socially responsible. Um, I think we are going uh, quickly going to all electric buildings and residential. Um, it's interesting because Walker Tower was the first building in New York to use induction um, cooking mm-hmm. um, because we had Verizon in the building, and that was the mandate for them selling Michael Stern the building yeah. that we couldn't use gas in the building. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we had to, you know, really do so much research on induction. But I, I think we're we're going electric, which I think is great. I think that um, 
I think everyone is more sensitive to, um, you know, re- being really good global global citizens. citizens. And, um, and I think the other thing that we have been doing a lot of research on is – if you remember, like five years, ten years ago, everyone was talking live, work, play, right? Yes. Bringing all of those things together. Now, in our new chapter, when it's very likely that most of us will not be in an office environment five days a week and we're working out of our homes and, and that how you then, you know, live, work, and play if it's in the same home or the same apartment, how you can separate those functions so that there's a time of the day when you say, okay, you know, the office is closed. So we're designing buildings where instead of that extra pantry, we're designing little homework surfaces with four foot and even three foot wide counters where you can have your laptop, where you can leave your um, your work papers and close it down at nine o'clock. Hmm. The rest of the world will close it down at five or six. <laughs> Friend, you know that we work, you know, forever. Yes. So, so, so I think it's that, it, and it's fascinating, and, and, and we are finding that our clients are opening, are open to that vision, and that's very exciting to us. So I think that the the answer is that I think people um, and our clients are becoming more enlightened because they need to be, you know. And for us as architects, it's always been that. You know, when I started in architecture, I was told that the outside of the building doesn't matter. And it's location, location, location. Every major development firm was like that. And that was like in the 70s, mm-hmm. 80, the 80s. And Still going. Yeah. And New York had the worst architecture, the worst residential architecture, yeah. if you compared it to yes. Chicago or Boston, because they said it's the location. And then it, there came a time when everyone was competing for a better product where they said, okay, the outside of the building is important to branding, to, to, to giving to the city. Mm-hmm. So, um, so sometimes these odd forces sort of affect our clients and our world of real estate. And so I think the positive thing about this past year, um, so many negative things for all of us, but I think it's opening people's eyes um, wider. And I that, agree with you yeah. on that. I and, think it has pushed us to consider the possibility of really taking personal inventory yes. in such a different way. Yeah. So so I'm excited. I'm excited for New York. Can you tell me about your any I, do you have any exciting upcoming projects you can share with us today? That I can say by name? I don't know. I mean, yeah. maybe. Okay, because you know that we... You're you know, very what, under wraps. Yeah, and, and what we are responsible to our clients about not sharing, but we are working on um, a new, what I'll call a little waterfront village in New Rochelle, <laughs> of really creating a new kind of suburban environment, um, which is very exciting. We're going through planning on that. Um, we're, we're doing um, one of the most visionary affordable housing projects in uh, Brooklyn for Camba, uh, which is all focused on indoor-outdoor living and living with art, Um, There's going to be more art in different ways um, in this building um, than... What do you mean different ways in terms of... uh, Mosaics Uh on the outside of the building, uh, local community art, um, art galleries. um, Got it. Uh, and farming, that. farming. Um, so, so this is something so we're cool. working, we're working on, and it, it's sort of public knowledge. So that, so that you know, I can mention. Um, let me think. We're 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 working on a lot of really interesting things about new visions on how to live. We're doing a lot more, uh, and we started this before the pandemic. A lot more um, suburban work on how you get that density, but not as dense as TOD developments, because I think they've learned that just by taking Manhattan and putting it out in the suburbs, it's not so satisfying. No. So the idea of how you you integrate that urban energy that we all love. uh, With a little bit more of a reprieve. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think now that, you know, people are realizing they may not be going into 
you know, the city every single day. I mean, we're hoping everyone's going to come back, but the people can live a little bit further out. But and they, still come in if they need to. Yeah, and but have all of the sophisticated things that we do in Manhattan and the five boroughs. So we're working on two or three of those. Um, so That's you, a very well, very smart way to, in, to integrate the wants and needs of a city sophisticate with mm-hmm. the reprieve of having a bit more of a, normal, a normalcy in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you weren't an architect and in design, what would you have done? Um, these days I'm feeling I uh, would like to be um, a landscaper, <laughs> meaning a gardener. Um, wow. Not, not a landscape designer, but... Um, Just getting uh, your hands I, dirty and... I, and, I love mm. getting my hands dirty and there's a... It's grounding. Peaceful, there's mm. a peacefulness about mm-hmm. it. So, um, I mean, we integrate landscape into our buildings. But but I do have to say I'm, I'm starting to – I've been doing a teeny bit of teaching. Um, I, I, you know, teach hospitality at uh, NYU School of uh, Hospitality. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of, of starting to um, – do a little more teaching on the art history side. Hmm. Um, so, you know, and but but working very very full time because you know we're 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 not uh, John and I both. You know, they say they're going to carry us out. You know, feet first um, <laughs> because we love what we do. So I'm not looking for other, um, you know, for for other professions and. Uh, so that's a luxury. You know, I'll have to get back to you on that, on what, 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 what I would really do. Um, your career is incredibly impressive. Um, Thank you. Do you have any bucket list items, professional accomplishments you haven't achieved that you would like to still? Yeah. Um, well, I think on the, the, um, our community involvement, uh, we uh, have funded a... Um, innovation and housing um, studio at City College, our, our alma mater, and we've been teaching there. So I know that uh, John and I would like to continue that in sharing our experiences, not just with our team. Um, as far as building types go, um, my little house in the country is number one, if I, I live that long that to do that. I big and glossy pages. I want the whole <laughs> thing done. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as far as typologies, um, I think that I would I would love to do a little echo resort in the middle of a forest mm. where the forest yeah. will tell me mm. what this building wants to be. I mean, that's that's a big bucket list um, I'll item. I'll be the first for me. one there. Yeah, I'll be there. Oh, I promise, I'll be there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and a library. You know, you know, love that. Which, because I love books, I love learning. You know, libraries aren't just about books anymore, but that integration of, you know, yes. learning, growing, uh, the fascinations of those worlds that you go into. Mm. Um, so we have not done a library yet, um, yet. yet, and so would love to do that. We've we've done you know, uh, projects up at the Bronx Zoo. We, we've done a lot of diverse projects, but. I would I would say that those are good ones, but but I always say you know and, and everybody laughs at me in my office that we can get a new five thousand square foot project in and and I sit down when we start to brainstorm and I say this is the most important project I love this you know and we have to do you know something amazing so for me it's the new project the new challenge um, so yeah and and being an architect you know be you know th- that's that's my bucket list, you know. I um, and and being a great a great person and someone mm. who gives back to society, that's very very important to me. So, before I finish this, I have to ask you the the, the one and only question I always ask: What is your greatest vice besides bread? Oh, okay. My greatest vice. Oh boy. I thought the bread thing was that you, know, you want something it might more, be. more, more. Uh, no, um, it could be. I, you know, I would say you know that you know, as everyone in our in our world of real estate, that before this year, there's a lot of uh, demands and joys of things we have to do and be out. You know, being mm-hmm. with people, clients. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that. 
I think that, you know, my biggest, I won't call it a vice, but John and I love being home. I love being in my pajamas and having a glass of wine (laughs) and not having to go out. Like on Monday with the snow. It's the best, isn't it? it? You know, (laughs) I just, I love, I'm a homebody and people are sort of always surprised about it. But I I just love reveling in the small things, you know. Mm. So um, if you call that a vice. I love that vice. I think you and I are very similar that way. I have to tell you, doing this interview has not only inspired me, it has moved me, touched me. You honestly personify all that I would like to aspire to as a human being. Thank you so much for the generosity of spirit to come here today and share it with me. Oh, and and thank you. Thank you. And, And, you know, we talked about this before, Fran, you know. You and I don't know each other well, well. We know each other, you know, professionally. Yeah. Yeah. And and for me, I want to thank you because your your questions were amazing and, uh, you know, made me take a deep breath, you know, and stop, you know, amidst the craziness of what our daily lives are. Yeah. And think about things that are really important. And so I have great admiration for you as a professional. And so, and I think two women, we have to do something together. We will. So, we have so, to. We'll, so we'll do that. So yes. thank you for having me. It was really a treat. Really Thank a you treat. for being here, Nancy. 